Hey, welcome back to the More Common Podcast. Hopefully you had a good couple days to check out the episode with Graham, to listen to part one of Lincoln Hope. And if you haven't listened to part one, it gives a lot of context for part two. So go check that out. And if you like us, leave us a like, leave us a comment, hit us up. You know, let's promote this message of compassion. On to part two. I think we do all approach things from different places, but it's always been, you know, I've always tried to live by a set of principles that help me to be a better person and help me to give other people the choice to be better people too. That's why I like acting is that we we can tell a story that inspires someone. And if they want to make better choices in their life, life, you know, be nicer to so-and-so or to, you know, reconnect with a with an estranged relative it, through, you know, that's reminded of them through the story, then that's great. And that that's, that's amazing as well as just kind of raising the consciousness of our society in general, I think is really important. And so I do think there's a higher calling to it. And it's not a, it's not a religious based or a religious specific calling at all. But I do believe there's so much more than we can understand here. I wanted to go into that play thing. I'm glad you just said that, Keith. Uh, hey, I'm here for But Lincoln, you. I'm an adult. Adults don't play. What does play do for you? And, and like, maybe what do you mean by play when you say play uh, for improv? Or, and what does it do? What has it done for you? Or what does it do for you? Play keeps us healthy. It really does. I can go into a very... A dark case study, if you want, if we could, I guess we can cut it out. Let's, let's, let's darken this conversation up real quick. So it's really dark. But after th- there was that first mass shooting in the seventies, I believe it was where a guy climbed a bell tower and, and basically just, just shot a bunch of people. Well, it was the first one in us history. It was the biggest one. And what the government or whoever it was did was they hired a whole bunch of experts in every single field to say, why did this happen? How can we stop this from happening? And I, I'm so sorry, I can't remember where I originally read about the study because I, again, read it, read it in another book. And it may have been Free Play by Stephen Naknamovich, but which is a great book on improv, by the way. The one thing that every single discipline found was that this individual and other people who are often considered psychopaths were not given healthy play. They were not able to play. Like their parents made them do chores and then stand in the corner. You know, those kinds of things. They didn't have other people to play with. But that healthy play was the one thing that kept coming up in every discipline studied when they when they did this study. So I really believe that that play is such an essential part of our daily health. And play is such a broad term. Like you said, Rodney, it could mean anything. It could mean playing a game on your phone. It could mean playing tag with your child friends if, you know, if you're a kid. It could mean playing Dungeons and Dragons. It could mean playing a board game. It could mean sitting around the table telling stories, trying to one-up each other. It could mean any number of these things, you know, just social games that you wouldn't think are games, but, you know, just like 
having a conversation, even, you know, flirting type of games, all these type of games, we're, we're social animals. And so playing together and not always being just so businesslike is really important. I'm sound. I'm sounding really eloquent, eloquent right now by saying not being so businesslike. But I think you hey, guys know what I mean. Sound good to me. Um, <laughs> letting the brain decompress, even when. Uh, so I just took a memory course, and one of the interesting principles about memory is you have to make spaced repetition. So you you memorize, 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 and then it's essential to stop memorizing and do something completely different so that your brain can kind of sort out everything. And I kind of feel like that's what play is. That's the relationship of play with work, is that you have to work, 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 you know, if that's your job, and then you got to step away and you got to be social, uh, which is a type of, can be a type of play. Work, 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 step away, play the guitar for a little bit, or do something that can be gamified or that is, that is like a game to you or just keeps you healthy in that way. So yeah, play is, again, it's a big wide term, but really I think I would describe it. What makes you able to decompress around other people? And look, take a look at that and see, and you can do it by yourself too. You know, you can play play games, improv games even, that, that let your brain decompress. So whatever whatever it is for you. And some people don't have enough hobbies. Some people need to find a hobby, you know, which may be painting or or, uh, anything in the arts is a form of play as well. There's this gym I went to for a little bit in Santa Monica. I probably should go back. Fridays, there was this class and it was movement play. And I was like, what is this? I'm just going to go. And so there's a whole like workout methodology around this, but it's like getting on all fours and moving like a gorilla or crawling like a bear or doing somersaults or front flips, aerials, or building a obstacle course and jumping on and making different challenges for yourself and how you're approaching the obstacle course. And I immediately, my first thing was like, this is silly. I I had that thought. And then as soon as I did it, I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. It reminds me of being a kid and I just had fun. And I was working out like at the end, I was I was more sore and tired than I had been from lifting weights for an hour, but it was fun. And so we did that every week and it kind of, it let me decompress from the week of working out and the week of everything else to, to your point of decompressing. It's, uh, I felt it in, in that. So that's cool. Yeah, that's great. A great piece of advice that I heard too was cause I'm a guitar player and, um, I took, I took a video course. Can't remember what the name of the teacher was, but she said, Every time you pick up the guitar, before you play, before you practice, make a new sound out of that guitar that you have never made. And, you know, after a few days, it was like, oh, my gosh, what, you know, what can I do? And, and you know, you, you might stick your finger through the sound hole and go click, 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 make it make sounds on the inside. Or you may try, you know, hitting the back of the neck to make sound or, you know, using your pick in a different way just doing those different things play in that way just like with uh, with what you were saying Rodney about your uh, movement player the exercise play class it opens up your creativity and that opens up a part in your brain that just needs to be used and exercised and i think 
a lot of people don't use and exercise it enough that those those creative things and that's play really grabs onto that i would agree i i like that that guitar visual like here's a guitar this is how you play it you end up confined to the standards of it but when you open up that creativity to flick the back of the neck back you know all of a sudden it's like oh there is just so much more potential in this and you may play it standard way and create but you understand the full potential of sound that comes from this and only way you do that is just by being silly and dumb and doing things that you the structured frameworks don't they tell you shouldn't do yeah that you're not supposed to do so i'm i'm curious to so you went to BYU and i think you said something earlier and i might be but you weren't an actor until you did improv. That's correct. You started acting at BYU. Or what What was it? What were you before improv? So where did you grow up in Idaho? No, I grew up in, uh, in New Jersey. Oh, so okay. in Southern New Jersey. Yeah, I was born in Chicago and then moved to Southern New Jersey and uh, went out to BYU in Utah for uh, just for school. But yeah, I, I was, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do really. I started communications. So my degree is in communications and I was going to be an advertising copywriter. I liked writing commercials and writing stuff. And, and, uh, that was, that was the goal that I came up with, which was fun. It was, it was fun. But when I found, when I found that love for acting, it, it, it changed everything. How did you find that love for acting? So again, it came, it came very much through, uh, I auditioned for this improv troupe and I loved that. I loved doing that. Uh, we did sketch. It was called the Garen's comedy troupe. We did sketch comedy as well as improv comedy. And I wanted to become a better actor. So I started taking acting classes and I started really liking that. So I started auditioning for student films and then I started getting into student films and then like, some of the, like, I was in a student film that won an, won an Emmy. It was called The Last Good War, which was directed by Ryan Little, who's a great, fantastic director, which turned out into, like, I think 15 years later, we made a feature film together called Saints and Soldiers Airborne Creed, which was based on the short. But when I started doing movies like that, that had a real depth to them, a real a value what I felt was a value to society for people to watch and be inspired and to feel like they could be better people or to feel some of their, their firm beliefs challenged or shaken just a little bit. I started to see like that I could become an instrument in helping people want to lead, lead better lives. And that was really for me, the thing that got me hooked that and like a real truthful communication um, as an actor on in a scene, like there was something about being a fictional character, but still and saying pre-rehearsed lines, but still having a true and spontaneous, meaningful moment with another character that came because we were again in this form of doing a scene that just fascinated me. Does that all make sense? It does. I'm curious. So you said when I, like, what made you start improv? 
Like, was it just something you were just like, yeah, we'll yeah, give why this did a you try? Sign up for like, the troop. Yeah. This, like, is, uh, this, this is devious fun. smile. This is a good story. <laughs> yeah. He's like, right, I asked like, the right I, question. Go, <laughs> so this girl that I really like. Yes. It always said, comes hey, back. Come over. We're, we're doing an improv party. And I was like, uh-huh. improv, what's that? Uh-huh. And, and she's like, well, you know, we make stuff up. Come over and find out. I was like, sure. <laughs> so I show up and we basically <laughs> play this game called freeze tag for three hours and I was just like, this is crazy. This is like games for grownups. Uh-huh. Like this is, we're playing games that are making everyone laugh. You know, it's good socially. It's good and all that. And I kid you not, the very next day, I was walking through um, the theater department of our uh, of, at BYU. And I saw on the bulletin board, this thing that said, comedy troupe starting improv actors wanted and had those things where you pulled off the phone number i was like hey i know what improv is i've done that before i might as well try i had no idea what i was getting myself into you know i had no idea because i'd only done it once and i just played and um and i showed up for the auditions a few days later like just so excited and eager and, and i brought that girl with me and i brought another friend with me and we, we ended up all getting in, I think, because not a lot of people showed up. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> but that, opportunity that's, is I mean, opportunity. That's the story. It was a girl. It was because of a, because of a girl. And, Isn't uh, it always? What a, what a fun journey that, that that sent me on. Wow. For sure. Motivation is important. No, that's cool. I think it's, um, I think there's interesting depth to go a step further on this is, so I've had moments like that where I'm just like pure joy and you do it, but because of certain social expectations that I was either raised with or ingrained in, not a chance I would have attributed that to anything meaningful, right? Other than I'm just being silly and having a good time. Yet you saw this and said, hey, let's go do more with it. Like, was it just happenstance because you saw that? What was it that caused you to pull that chat off versus going, oh, that that's a cool thing. I've only done it one time, so I'm not really that person, but oh, that's neat. Great question. I think a lot of it was, I mean, I'm a pretty, by nature, pretty shy, introverted person. And there was something in doing that improv of kind of dropping all that and letting freedom of not having fear of looking like an idiot or not, not having that fear of looking stupid that really, really grabbed me. And in conjunction with that, like just using a part of myself, I wasn't using at all that I think was like, I like this. I really like this. And just to find that there was this whole side of me that I didn't know was there that had a love for playing this kind of game almost instantly, you know, besides there's always nerves. Like we talked about earlier, I was terrified. If that girl hadn't been there, I would not have gotten up and done it. If I, if I wasn't there to impress her in some certain way, I would not have gotten over that inertia of no, 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 this is nerve wracking. But because of those circumstances, because I pushed myself because of that, 
I found this freedom and love for a part of this creative brain I didn't know was there. And I think that was, I think that probably set me on a, a, a point of no return. That's awesome. Yeah. That is, that, I mean, it's a good story, you know, to have that origin <laughs> it story. I really it like is. It. Are you, uh, in general, I guess to that point, so the next day, so the pulling of the, like that part, that kind of back to what Keith was saying, like that moment of pulling that with other things in your life that you felt attached to or attracted to or interested in, would you be, were you as likely to go towards them, even if you didn't know what it was, or was that a rare event to that point in your life? It was a rare event. It was for sure a rare event. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't accustomed to putting myself out there in social ways that weren't more in the shadows. And so that was that was a very that was a very different thing for me, but since then it's been it's been easier to do, you know, because uh, I've experienced that sometimes those those first steps into the darkness or that unknown can really spark amazing things for the rest of your life. And not only that, but also a, an instant sense of adventure and sense of novelty that, that in some ways can be worth pursuing on its own, which I, I wasn't like that before. But now I'm like, I try to force myself to get past some of that shyness to try new things because of the adventure, which is really quite fun. I mean, that ties it almost metaphorically back into Dungeons and Dragons, right? Where there's there's an adventure to be had and there's there's fun in that adventure. And sometimes just taking that first step is the adventure. And you don't have to take a second step if you don't want to, but you know, short adventures are good too. You there there have been things where I've tried and been like, nope, that was I'm glad I'm not sitting here wishing I had tried it, but I've tried it and it's not for me. I wonder if it ties back into play a little bit too. Do you? I'm almost sensing this this element of unknown with play because you, you said uh, it allows you to to decompress. But I'm almost sensing this element of like I don't know exactly what's going to happen throughout all of this. I don't know. What do, what do you yeah, think about that? People fear the unknown. We all we all fear the unknown to one extent or another. But when you can make that unknown part of your process or, or make the unknown your friend, it makes a lot of things easier. Most people, when we talk about improvisation, mostly the, the fears that we hear most is, what if I get up on stage and I don't know what to say? Or what happens if I'm in a scene and it's going badly and I don't know what to do? People are projecting into the future, into a scene that's never started. It has, there's no scene, right? But their imagination is saying, what if I'm in this imaginary place and I don't know what to say? They're saying, what if I'm in an unknown and there's an unknown within that unknown? Like that, And there's an unknown. <laughs> that, right, exactly. They're creating a problem oh, in the thing what that hasn't begun started. Minds, or, right? I'm curious from yeah. uh, how much, because like I hear that. And I think about the emergence of conspiracy theory groups, the growth of them. One of the underlying themes is a belief 
that they have been alienated or judged in some negative way over time. And these groups are the first time that they get to say things that they've thought without judgment, without criticism. And in the improv space, we create these stories, like I'm going to go up there and it's going to be like me speaking in front of a hundred people at work and all of them are going to be whispering, what an idiot, what an asshole. But the community is designed such that it is non-judgmental to the performance because improv is improv. It's not a quality or it could be funny. It could be not funny. But to your point, funny is just this much sliver. You can improv a drama. And so it could be sad or not sad. So how much does that community component play into the effectiveness of the response and the ability to just go up there the next time? It's really important. It's really important when when you're having a class or when you're rehearsing as a group that there's a safe space to step into that unknown and be willing to make yourself in it, into an idiot or look stupid, to take risks. And the fact that everyone else in that space needs to be on the same page and needs to say, hey, I'm going to step out so I'm going to I'm going to be here to catch you and completely honor your willingness to risk because we're all taking the same risk and when people are first learning improv that mentality of yes anding and supporting and just applauding everyone's courage to get on stage is a huge huge and important part of the process and I have taken some improv classes in, in some place. I've taken improv classes, so many different schools, and every school has something great to offer. But sometimes, you know, the teacher is a little bit, it's a little bit, it's less safe of a place. And that's more appropriate the more advanced you get. The more further you get, the more, you know, you're not a you're not a improv baby anymore. Someone can say, you need to stop doing that, or you've got a bad habit, let's start working on that. When you're just starting out, that can be that can be devastating, especially if it's not said tactfully and lovingly. But when it's said tactfully and lovingly, that's great. And so, yeah, that safe space is extremely important when starting out. And that's why it's important to work with a group in a class before you get up on stage in front of an audience, because that audience is not going to be on the same page as everyone. They're, you know, especially if they're paying, they're like, hey, I paid, I paid for some entertainment. So you have to be, you have to be careful too. And you have to, I mean, that's an important part of the process is going from this safe space with this group or class to going to a less safe space, but it's still part of the job, you know? Right. There's a key that I wonder if it ties back to that study with play on the, um, the shooting uh, you know, the, the lack of potentially lack of ability to play or even share an idea about, I wonder if this happened because of this and being shut down and then turning that into a lack of support, you know, an amalgamation bigger, yeah. of, and it's a bigger of sense of stories judgment. that, yeah, I'd be fascinated to look into that. That's an interesting thought, but yes, ending is huge for safety. For the sake of time, because we have one final question we're going to get to here in a few minutes, but I need to pivot the conversation to one, congratulate you on the early success of Witnesses, 
And this conversation, and maybe this is a root of a lot of other interviews that you'll do over time, but I'm curious, you went to BOIU, you mentioned something earlier about the reminder, whether that is from above or not. And Witnesses is about a group of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I don't know all of the story. It's actually not. It's not oh. Jehovah's Witnesses. It's it's um, it's um about early members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Of Latter-day Saints. Got it. Yeah. So, but totally, totally understand because the word Witnesses. Yeah. But it is, it is, it is different. But no, and that's fair. There seems to be, and I'm making an assertion, so correct me if I'm wrong, that religion in some form or fashion has played a role in your life. How much did that help you connect to this role within this movie? Yeah. Well, I, first of all, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I knew the history already. And then some of the other lead actors were not members. And and so they they had a different journey. They they had a different path. But I definitely, you know, plot-wise and historical figure-wise, I was I was already very connected. But because because of uh, you know principles principles taught in my church since I was young, I felt like I was, you know, I've always been on a spiritual journey. And so there was always. I mean, I was always trying to connect to that, to, you know, to that higher power to guide my performance or to, I mean, I mean, that, that doesn't sound quite right, but to say, Hey, here I am, you know, if, if I can help tell this story better, let me know how, and then just diving in and kind of letting, letting the moment and my training and my research on the part, as well as anything else that was available to give a a moving performance as much as I could. So it definitely it definitely played in and it played a factor. But again, the, the other actors who weren't members of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints did a phenomenal job as well. I mean they they played they played their parts quite well. So I think we do all approach things from different places, but it's always been, you know, I've always tried to live by a set of principles that helped me to be a better person and helped me to give other people the choice to be better people too. That's why I like acting is that we we can tell a story that inspires someone. And if they want to make better choices in their life, life, you know, be nicer to so-and-so or to, you know, reconnect with a with an estranged relative it, through, you know, that's reminded of them through the story, then that's great. And that that's that's amazing, as well as just kind of raising the consciousness of our society in general, I think is really important. And so I do think there's a higher calling to it. And it's not a, it's not a religious based or a religious specific calling at all. But I do believe there's so much more than we can understand here. And if, if we allow ourselves to be guided by uh, whatever you want to call it, the spirit or our intuition, or other people who are really smart, <laughs> You know, however that works in, I, I think it, it all puts us in a better position to move forward and make the world a better place. What did the, I just want to ask real quick, having your basis in the church, what did having that role mean for, to you specifically, like getting that role in that film? What does that, what, what does that mean to you? 
Well, it was it was amazing because I played this character called Martin Harris, who's always. I mean, he made some. This was a guy who made some pretty big mistakes, and, and they're recorded for everyone in history to see. You know, he he uh, helped translate, and then lost these hundred and sixteen pages, which were then had to be abandoned. And he kind of left the church for a while and then came back after a while. Like he's known almost more for his mistakes than for the good things he did, which was better. So diving back in and having to research him and learn more about him, I just thought he was just a beautiful, wonderful person. And and I, I think it was kind of it was kind of nice. People come up to me afterwards saying that they felt that my portrayal of him really humanized him and changed their view of him. So I kind of feel like I was perhaps instrumental in showing a different side of this man that that's just kind of loving and human and fallible, but so well-intentioned. That was a, both a learning experience to me, but also, uh, you know, hearing from from other people who have seen the film who, who knew of, of this historical figure, Martin Harris, that they were moved by it as well. I'm a very, I don't know, sensitive, loving kind of person. And I think just by casting me in that role, it was going to tend to that more loving, sensitive side. So, so you know, the, the director did half the job of just putting me in there. And that, that already afforded me the opportunity to play him in a very sensitive, loving kind of way. So it, it was it was really a wonderful experience for me to have more compassion for this person that I had thought mostly also of more of his mistakes than the good things he did. So it was really beautiful to experience him from that other angle. That sentiment will tie very nicely into our final question as we wrap up. Before we ask it, I want to do something new that we should do all the time and haven't ever. (laughs) Where can our audience find you? Oh, yes. So, um, so my name is Lincoln Hope, and it's spelled with two P's. And so most of my socials are at Lincoln Hope, again, with two P's, H-O-P-P-E. And my website is lincolnhope.com. And uh, my improv course with Eric Artel is called Improv Wizards. And that can be found at improvwizards.com. And we'll make sure all of that is in the show notes as well. Yeah, I'll tell you my Facebook too, because it's the only thing that's different. My Facebook page is Lincoln Actor. So if you type in Lincoln Actor on Facebook, that's that's my Facebook page. But all my other socials are Lincoln Hope. I have TikTok. I haven't posted much to it. I'm trying to get back into it. I do have like almost 500,000. Yeah, you're balling on TikTok. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to get back into it. I got into it because my kids, they thought it was really fun. And, that's awesome. So it's been kind of a fun experience. I asked you our last question, but first I will say thank you because... Uh, we're going to end with you. So I want to say thank you for the time. Uh, you're really thoughtful. You're caring and, and loving side. It exudes. I think I p- picked that up from just earlier conversations with you and other awesome. platforms. But well, thank you. Um, I agree. Just really appreciate your thoughtfulness and, and, and tying all this together for us. I feel the same way. Just you guys opening up the space and having having this goal of having deep conversations that, again, make the world a better place. I, I mean, it's it's beautiful and wonderful. So I'm really happy to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thank you. So the last question is, uh, what does compassion mean to you? Compassion to me is sharing 
part of myself with someone else in a way that makes them better or helps them. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily compassionate to just do something for someone that's easy to do. But when I'm sharing something of myself and meeting someone, someone else's authentic self, I think that's where, for me, compassion sings or, or really, really takes on a new meaning. Uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to diminish other definitions of compassion, which is where you're doing something nice for someone who needs something. But I feel, I feel that deeper, deeper connection in a way that honors the other person from your true self is, is really coming, coming at someone from a compassionate place. And listening to, I mean, we talk about listening with improv. Um, if you're focused on yourself, you can't really listen as well to the other. You can't listen. And so it's, it's knowing who you are or, or coming to know who you are so that you can share that with someone else in a way that can benefit them. Thank you.